Morning, everybody. Did you guys celebrate Jesus yesterday? <laughs> okay. So I got lots of yeses. Did you guys have a lot to eat yesterday? Yes. So that is just like very common, right? Here's what I'd love to point out and then pray about. Those are two indicators of a very blessed life. Amen? That we know to celebrate Jesus, and we can celebrate Jesus with far more food than we ever should probably be eating. Right? <laughs> Do you guys ever get that way where you eat what you should and then just a bit more, right? Are you, you with me on that? And then it makes you a little lethargic? Yeah. <laughs> I just want to pray that that kind of like, man, I just had little too much to eat. Maybe I'll just have a nap on the couch. I'm just going to pray that that feeling doesn't trickle into the church. Okay? What's, what's a word that we can use to describe that? Because I just want to pray against that this morning. Flawlessness? Lawlessness? I was thinking like lethar- uh, lethargy? Lethargic? I don't know. Just join me in prayer. Hope you guys understand where I'm going with this. Lord, I just pray that you would come and as we receive your word, Lord, there would be an eagerness in us that's hungry for more and that we would not feel like we've just had too much to eat and we'd like to have a nap. Lord, I pray that we would be filled with zeal and enthusiasm and eagerly reach for more because we realize Uh, Lord, that you have so much to give, and we are now coming to get the real bread of life. Help us to not have become sidetracked by uh, the earthly versions of that, Lord, but let us come with hunger, Lord. And could you come and speak to us, Holy Spirit, in a way that only you can. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. So if you listen to the message from yesterday morning, the Christmas Day message, you will have heard four different people sharing about how they encountered the Lord, experienced Jesus. And you heard Chris Drieger talk specifically about the theme of joy. Exactly right. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what the Bible describes about joy. And we're going to end... I have a story that I want to end with. But first, I've got to ask you guys some questions about joy. What does it mean to jump for joy? Okay, praise. What does it mean to jump for joy? What's that? Jump up and down? Why would someone do that? They're excited. They can't contain it. There's so much happiness in them or whatever there's so much enthusiasm and excitement and anticipation and and just they're so filled with joy they can can't contain it until they jump right you guys know what i mean with jumping for joy okay sometimes we use that in language right we i told that person this good news and they jumped for joy they were so happy right and if you google it the word ecstatic might even be in there because to jump for joy you have to be like really happy about something right and 
But in order to like literally jump for joy, okay, raise, raise your hand if you have literally jumped for joy. Okay, there's a bunch of people in here who do that. And I, 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 in hindsight, I kind of wish I had asked Chris Drieger that question. Like, when you're standing in your shop there and fixing tractors and stuff, like, do you ever jump for joy? <laughs> Can you give us a demonstration of what it looks like to jump for joy? Right? Because when we think of that, if you would take a camera and you would just capture somebody jumping for joy, and people sometimes try and capture this on a Christmas card, they're all trying to be in the air at the same time with their feet off the ground, it looks a bit awkward, but you can tell what they're trying to do, right? Their knees are bent, their feet, feet are up, and their hands are in the air. That's jumping for joy, right? Or if you do one of these, you're walking along and you kind of jump and kick both feet to the same side and click your heels together in the air, Typically, people do that when they're happy, right? It's a way of jumping for joy. I've also learned that you can embarrass your children by doing that in public. <laughs> do it. <laughs> yeah. And my kids might never come to church again. Yeah. Those listening on live stream, someone challenged me to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, for the sake of my children, I'll pass. But anyway... I want to end the sermon by by telling a story about a person who actually jumped for joy. But before we get there, I want to talk about what the Bible says about joy because the Bible actually says a lot about joy and we'll see that joy triggers a response. In other words, joy, when you have joy, there are some things that automatically happen as a result. Joy triggers a response. What we... First, have to ask this question so we know that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, many of us know the passage by heart, but there's nine things listed that would be fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy is one of them. We know that. But how do you get that kind of joy that the Bible describes? And so we're going to answer that with a three-part answer. Of the three parts, the first part is going to be actually how you don't get that joy based on what the Bible describes. And then the, the point two and three are going to be exactly how do you get that joy. And so the first part is this. You do not get the joy that the Bible describes by, as a result of good circumstances. Biblical joy is not circumstantial joy like the world would have. Now, I want to point out, it is not bad to have joy based on circumstance, but that is the kind of joy that the world can have. And there's actually stories of that in the Bible, and and I'm going to use even the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. I think there's, you see a portion of that, a portion of the joy that is talked about in that story, I think, is the kind, is a joy that would come from circumstance. Let Let me just show you what I mean. In Luke 1.57, it says this, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. What was his name? John the Baptist. Her neighbors and relatives... Sorry, I threw you guys off by stopping there. Okay, verse 58 says, Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Now, we know that Elizabeth was actually filled with joy through the Holy Spirit. It says that earlier in the story. But her neighbors and relatives, I think they're largely experiencing joy because they're sharing her joy and seeing her great circumstance and being very happy for her. 
That's not super different than what the, how the world encounters this. And when, even today, when someone has a baby, typically people are very happy for the person having a baby. Right? In, in Zechariah's, uh, in, in Elizabeth's case, she was really old and couldn't have kids, and her neighbors and relatives knew that, and now she's having a baby. They're filled with joy. They're sharing her joy. Elizabeth had joy, let's say, based on from the Holy Spirit, and, uh, Holy Spirit and maybe circumstance, but her neighbors and relatives, let's just say that it was largely maybe circumstantial. And that's not wrong. But that's the kind of joy that many people in the world would experience. And it's fantastic, right? I'm happy for everybody. I'm glad that... Is, is my mic cutting in and out? Or is that just my, in my head? It is. <laughs> it is in my head? Okay. <laughs> so, they have... The world can have this joy too in, in things, uh, celebrating things like the birth of, of a child. But the Bible talks about a joy that goes beyond that, a joy that is based on God and comes from God. And that joy, many of us know this acronym, J-O-Y, we know how to spell joy, and joy, if you, if you use that to, to stand for Jesus, and you use the O to stand for others, and then you use the Y to stand for yourself, that acronym is really accurate because if you think about Jesus first and God first, and that's where your focus is, and secondly, your focus is on other people. And then finally, after Jesus and others comes yourself. That is a recipe for joy, and we know that. And that acronym is accurate and describes what the Bible talks about because the joy doesn't come, the joy from Scripture doesn't come from just great circumstances. It comes in spite of poor circumstances, actually. And so just for instance, here's a more... Um, more scriptures than we can take time to dive into today. But Jesus points out to this non-circumstantial joy when he said stuff like, we should rejoice and be glad when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil about you. Because of Jesus, then you should rejoice and be glad. That is a non-circumstantial joy. Agreed? The early church, they also experienced this non-circumstantial kind of joy because they were flogged. They were preaching about Jesus, talking about him, and telling others about him, and they were dragged before the authorities and then flogged. That's whipping to another whole other degree with little shards of bones that rip out your flesh when they pull it off your skin and so on. They were flogged, and they left the flogging rejoicing. That is a non-circumstantial joy. Amen? Because if it was based on circumstance, they'd be very sad, upset, feeling like life's not fair, but they left rejoicing. That's not uncircumstantial. James went so far, he said we should actually consider it pure joy whenever we face trials. And so he goes so far that not only should we have joy in spite of our trials, we should, he said we should have joy because of our trials. Because we know that the trials actually produce good things in us. That is non-circumstantial joy. Agreed? I'm just trying to make this one point over and over. Peter talks about that because in 1 Peter 1, 6-9, Peter says, he, he, tells, he talks to his readers and he said, you guys have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And then like two sentences later, 
he's talking about how they are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And so again, he's also talking about a kind of joy that is not based on circumstances. You with me? I just want to show you that the joy that the Bible talks about, it is good, it is fine, it is okay to have joy based on circumstance, that's great. But that's not where biblical joy comes from. Make sense? In fact, this biblical joy can only truly be identified when it's experienced in the midst of trials. Because then you know you have a joy that the world doesn't have. So the question is, how do you get this joy? Here's the first thing you can do about it. This is point point two on these three points that I want to make, but you can choose this joy. There's an aspect of biblical joy that involves choice, and we know this because it's a command in Scripture. And when there's a command given in Scripture, there's an opportunity for the listener to make a choice as to whether or not they're going to be obedient. For instance, in Philippians 3, Paul says very specifically, Further, my brothers and sisters, (laughs) rejoice in the Lord, he says. It's actually just an instruction. It's a command. Next chapter, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And in 1 Thessalonians, he says, rejoice always. Those are instructions, commands. And to be clear, first of all, let me say this. If you want to read one book in the Bible that talks a lot about joy and how to... Jesus, others, and then yourself. The book of Philippians is exactly a book like that. But to be clear, some of our difficult circumstances that we have in our life are self-inflicted, right? I was on the roof of my house and I jumped off. Instead of taking the ladder, now my leg's broken. Self-inflicted, right? (laughs) Should have used the ladder. Sometimes they're not self-inflicted. Sometimes they're beyond what we can control. Maybe I got T-boned by another car. Now I have a broken leg. That was not my control. But it, you know what? It doesn't matter whether, our, whether the difficulty in our life is self-inflicted or whether it was beyond our control. It doesn't matter because choosing joy is an option regardless of whether my pain is self-inflicted or whether it's beyond my control. The Bible tells us that we have a choice of where we focus our attention. Are we going to focus on our problems and become discouraged? Or will we obey what God told Joshua when he said to Joshua, do not be discouraged? Or would we obey what Jesus told his disciples when he said, do not let your hearts be troubled? I think this is what Paul's getting at in Philippians 4 verse 9 when he goes on, uh, 4 verse 8 actually, when he goes off into a list of things that we ought to be thinking about. Finally, my dear brothers and sisters, right? Here's a list of things you should be thinking about because we have a choice of what we focus on. And so we have this choice whether we focus on ourselves and our problems or whether we're going to focus on Jesus and serving other people. There's another way you can get joy. There's a supernatural way that you can get joy. This is the third one. You can depend on the Holy Spirit for it. But even here, when we depend on the Holy Spirit for joy, there is still an aspect of choice in the matter. Because Jesus promises, for instance, that our Heavenly Father will give us, uh, will give good gifts, will give the Holy Spirit to those who 
Ask, right? He will give good gifts to those who what? Ask. And so there's an aspect of receiving joy from the Holy Spirit where it's up to, it's up to God to give it, beyond, our, beyond my control. But even then, I still have the choice of whether or not I will ask, for, ask or receive it. We have a choice of the heart attitude that's required in order to ask. But this supernatural way of getting joy depends on the Holy Spirit. And I think King David understood that because after he was convicted of sin, he prayed and sang, he cried out to the Lord and he said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He understood that he needed God's help to to get there. David had a choice of what to focus on. He had the choice of whether or not he would ask for it, but he did. And then he would depend on God for the rest of it. In the New Testament, Paul and his companions experienced this joy from God. One time they were preaching the gospel and being successful at it, they were reaching a lot of people. But then some of the political leaders in the city started stirring up persecution for them and spreading false rumors about them, forcing them to leave the area. And after they were forced to leave their area of good ministry, it says, and the disciples were filled with with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Again, that is non-circumstantial joy, and it's coupled together with coming from the Holy Spirit. Jesus experienced the same thing. He was also filled with joy through the Holy Spirit. In Luke 10.21, it says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And you can notice the source of joy that the Thessalonians had. So we just saw an example from Paul, how he had joy from the Holy Spirit. We saw an example from Jesus, how he had joy from the Holy Spirit. And then 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6 says this. Paul tells the Thessalonian church, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, Jesus, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. The Thessalonians' joy came from the Holy Spirit. Was their joy based on pleasant circumstances? How do you know that? It says it was in the midst of severe suffering. So again, you see a non-circumstantial joy. And Paul notes that when they have this non-circumstantial joy from the Holy Spirit, they're actually imitating Paul, they're imitating the early church, they're imitating Jesus. We just went through examples of that. That kind of supernatural joy is not normal in the world. It's not even possible for non-believers because it comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, I think it's safe to say that it's in Jesus' name. Because in order for it to be in Jesus' name, it has to line up with his will and his character and his authority, right? And so not only is it available to Christians only, but that kind of a non-circumstantial joy should be the mark of a normal Christian. In fact, every believer who desires to imitate Jesus should desire that kind of a supernatural joy. And if you desire it, you'll end up asking Jesus for it. And Jesus promised that he would give you whatever you ask in his name. 
He promised that the Father will give you whatever you ask in his name. Knowing that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, I think it's safe to say that's in his name. Amen? <laughs> we have a choice where we focus. We have a choice whether we ask. But he promises that he'll give us whatever is in his name. That makes me want to ask. And that's how we're going to end the sermon. But I first want to talk a little bit more about this. What happens? What kind of things are triggered when you have that kind of a joy in your life? There probably could be a long list, and if we have, this would be a great lunchtime conversation for you today. You could add to this list, but I'm going to give you five things that are going to be automatically triggered in your life if you have this kind of a joy from the Lord. Here's the first one. It will be nice to be around you. <laughs> True? Come on. Who doesn't like being around a joyful person, right? Proverbs talks about this. It says, the che a cheerful heart is good medicine. Friends of mine did a little experiment. And by the way, the first two things on this list are going to be things that are not that different from the joy that the world knows. Because the world knows pieces of this too. And I'll just give you an example. Friends of mine were at a wedding reception where people were mingling around tables, but they could go from one table to another. Okay? That was like pre-COVID. Okay? <laughs> and so they were mingling, and they told their, they told their table, Hey, guys... Let's do a little experiment. Let's just, like, every once in a while, fake laugh and make it look like we're having just a whale of a time here, a lot of joy at our table, and see if people come. They did that. And sure enough, it didn't take long, and there, there was a lot of people around their table, and I think they went to another table, and they tried the same thing over there, and it worked again, because people are attracted to joy. It's going to be nice being around you. Of course, the world knows this too. Second thing that's going to be triggered in your life if you have this joy, it's going to make your message palatable. In other words, here's what I mean. If you have joy, whatever you're selling is going to, be, it's going to taste good to someone who's a potential buyer. That's why it's so important that if you're telling somebody about Jesus, it would be really, really, really good if you had joy that was exuding out of you when you're telling them about Jesus. <laughs> Not only is it easy to sell what you're offering, they need to see Jesus in you, right? But of course, the world actually knows this principle too. Think about any picture you've ever seen of a salesperson. Are they grouchy and sad? Are they grouchy and sad? No, they're always, it always looks like they just, something really good just happened. And then they take a picture. <laughs> right? Because they know that if they want to sell you something, they'll have a much easier time if they're actually presenting as someone who has joy. But anybody can take a picture and for that second look like you're full of joy. But if you have a genuine joy from the Lord, people will be able to see it not only just in one snapshot, but they'll actually see it oozing out of your life. Like if they're your neighbor and they get to see you coming and going and you interact with them at church every week, that kind of stuff, they get to see it in your life, 
if you have a genuine joy in the Lord. Third thing that's going to be triggered in your life if you have this joy is that you will be less likely to be offended by other people because joyful people realize that life is not just about themselves. You'll notice that people who make life all about themselves typically are not very happy. Just think about it. Think about the last time that you were upset. Think about the last time that you lost your cool, flew off the handle, so to speak, or were even tempted to. Maybe you controlled it, okay? But think about that last time. Maybe it was when you were in a lineup. Maybe you were stuck in traffic. Maybe it was towards your spouse or your kids or your siblings or a friend or maybe it happened at work. Were you upset because you were thinking about others or were you thinking about yourself? Almost guaranteed you were thinking about yourself. People who think about themselves first tend to get upset and offended very easily. On the other hand, people who have a joy in the Lord know that life isn't all about themselves. And when they have that kind of a Holy Spirit-inspired joy, a genuine joy in the Lord, not only are they not easily offended, but you'll still find them rejoicing even when they would have good reason to be offended. Think about Paul in the book of Philippians. In Philippians 1, 15 to 18, there's a nice little example of that, but some people were preaching Christ with selfish motives, and Paul was in jail for preaching about Jesus. And it specifically says that these people were purposely trying to make things even more difficult for Paul when he was in jail. But he has this joy in him. He, was, he just rejoiced that Christ was being preached. That's the mark of someone who has this kind of a joy. Fourth thing is that you will naturally praise God when you have this joy in your life. You could think about some of these things, even if you heard what Chris Rieger shared yesterday, and if you know who Chris is and you've seen him in church, you can probably see some of these things in his life as an example. But anyone filled with joy through the Holy Spirit cannot help but return praise back to God. Think of the example of Jesus. Luke 10.21 says, that time, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And he went on to praise the Lord because when you're filled with joy... Praise spills out. And thankfulness will probably be hot on its heels. And here's the fifth thing that gets triggered in your life when you have a joy from the Lord, is that you will be unstoppable in service for Jesus. Have you ever noticed that it is almost impossible to derail someone from their objective if they have joy? If they are just going forward, happy, joyful, positive, they're going forward, filled with joy. It is really hard to slow them down, isn't it? But if you can just rob someone of their joy, oh, you can make them quit. You can make them lose their ambition. 
Doesn't that sound evil to even think that way? It is. But when you have joy, though, your work isn't difficult as it would be, and you don't stall out when a problem comes your way. And if that seems too good to be true, I'll just give you a really, really simple example. Not long ago, I was driving in my truck and going to a meeting where I knew it would have the potential for being discouraging for me. And I was praying about that, and the Lord gave me an idea. The entire time in my truck, as I drove, I sang loud, joyful praises to the Lord all the way there. And I determined that I was going to do the same thing on my way home. I was going to sing loud, joyful praises to the Lord on my way home. I determined that before I even got to the meeting. And so I knew what was going to happen after the meeting. (laughs) And as soon as I decided that, it's like the threat of discouragement had no hold on me. I actually felt like there was a strength in me that didn't come from my own. And I was actually anticipating already driving home to it so I could praise the Lord again. It's a really tiny example, but I think that's what the prophet Zechariah was getting at when he said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I think that's something similar to what happened to Jesus because it says that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross and scorned its shame. When you have this joy of the Lord, it fills you with so much anticipation You're unstoppable in your service for God. And I think you can see that, I think you can see exactly that principle in the story about John the Baptist. John the Baptist had a powerful and successful ministry preparing people to meet Jesus. He was preaching in the rugged mountainous area in Judea, and he wore clothes of what? Camel's hair? And he had a leather belt, and he's famous for eating locusts dipped in (laughs) wild honey, right? Or and wild honey. I don't know if he was dipping locusts or just two different food items, whatever. Another aspect of John's ministry was that he was very bold in his preaching, and he was fearless in the face of opposition, For instance, in order to take his baptism, you had to admit your sins and repent of them. And while most people of his day were afraid of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, because if they didn't like you, they would kick you out of the synagogue or not allow you to celebrate in the synagogue. And John didn't get, he wasn't slowed down at all. He pointed out their sins, he called them out just like everybody else. You guys have to repent along with everybody else. And he even called out the same thing to Herod the Tetrarch for his adulterous marriage and for all the other sins that Herod was committing. This, of course, got him locked up in jail where eventually he was beheaded. But before he died, he was unstoppable in his ministry, bold and fearless in the face of opposition. And you have to ask this question, where did John the Baptist get that kind of a boldness for his ministry from? Was it his personality? Could be. I don't know his personality. But could be, right? Could have something to do with it. Was, his, um, was it because he had a strong faith and a solid upbringing? 
yeah, that could have something to do with it, right? He had fantastic parents, a fantastic birth story, and obviously a lot of faith, so that could certainly have something to do with it. But I want to present another possibility. And let's reread part of the Christmas story where Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus, she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, who is John the Baptist's mom, and she is pregnant with John the Baptist. Luke 1.39, it says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we know already from there that there's a connection. The baby, who we know is John the Baptist, leaped or jumped or whatever in her womb, and we know that that was a result of the Holy Spirit. But joy hasn't been mentioned. Let's keep reading. Verse 42, In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And so there you can see an obvious connection that John the Baptist leaped for joy because of the Holy Spirit. You have to be ecstatically happy about something to genuinely leap for joy. And if you're doing that before you ever even get to see or touch the world, that has to be by the Holy Spirit. That is a kind of joy that does not come to those who do not know Jesus and do not have the Holy Spirit. But this exactly lines up with what the angel Gabriel told John the Baptist's dad just a few months prior in Luke one fifteen. The angel Gabriel told Zechariah that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And I think there will have been other benefits, if you will, from being filled with the Holy Spirit than only joy, but clearly there is a connection that he was filled with joy even in the womb. And so I think there's a connection to be made that John the Baptist, in addition to his obedience to God's calling, in addition to having great parents, in addition to having a bold and solid faith, he was unstoppably bold and fearless in his service for Jesus because he was filled with joy by the Holy Spirit. And so I'd like to read a passage of Scripture that I would love to pray in closing. This was Paul's prayer for the Romans. He said, May the God... Romans 15, verse 13... This is what Paul prayed for the Romans. He said, may the, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. So there is a joy that comes from the Lord. And peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know that you have some things. You can see that there is some of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that are overlapping in there. Because joy is not the only fruit of the Holy Spirit. I realize that. There's hope, there's joy, there's peace, all of which are fruit of the Holy Spirit. But joy is one of those. And so I'd like to pray right now that 
we as a body of believers and everyone who is listening to this message would be, we would choose to focus our eyes and choose to have joy, but then we would also have the heart attitude that asks God to fill us by His Holy Spirit with that joy. Can you imagine having a church full of people with that kind of a joy? Can you imagine if this entire church was unstoppable in their service for Jesus because they were just exuding joy? Would you like to be part of that? If you would like to, here's what I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to do something that shows to Jesus and you're even willing for other people to, if you're listening online, same thing to you. I'm going to challenge you to do this. Stand up if you want and just hold your hands open like this while I pray a prayer that lines up with what Paul was praying to the Romans, that the God of hope would fill us with joy by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like to participate in that prayer and receive it, why don't you just stand up and open up your hands right now and I'm going to pray. Jesus, based on Scripture, we know that we are praying in your name because we are praying what you would have us desire. We want, Lord, the same joy that you had, Jesus, that would propel you to be unstoppable in your obedience and service for your Father. We want to be unstoppable. We want to have the same effect. We want to be sent out, Lord, and then pour ourselves out with an unstoppable, joy-filled ministry for you, Jesus. And so right now, with hands open, Lord, could you come and fill each one who has their hands open and desires to ask, could you fill us with joy by the power of your Holy Spirit, regardless of circumstances? We thank you, Jesus, for your promise that you will do this because we ask in your name. Amen.